looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Alex, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 62 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin, and we've got an amazing episode for you today. Oh, my gosh, we're going out of this world to bring you the most superb episode to date. That's right. We're raising the bar once again. Joining us today is the amazing Catherine Mary Stewart. You loved her in The Last Starfighter, Weekend at Bernie's, Night of the Comet, Mischief, and so much more. And this week, it's especially exciting because the anniversary of The Last Starfighter, which came out in 1984, we're talking all about it. You're going to love it. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. Oh, and you may have heard me mention Night of the Comet when introducing Catherine Mary Stewart. If you need more Night of the Comet in your life, after listening to this interview, head over to episode 25 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show, and listen to my interview with Kelly Maroney. Kelly was, of course, Catherine Mary Stewart's co-star in Night of the Comet. So if you need more Night of the Comet in your life, head over to that amazing interview as well. I do want to take a quick second and thank everyone who likes, follows, subscribes to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show on your favorite podcast platform. Not sure which platform to check out? Well, head over to jeffisfunny.com. That's my website for the podcast. You can actually listen to all the episodes right there, but there's also links to every one of the podcast apps. Pick one that you love and you can link right to it and then follow. And then here's the important part. Tell all your friends. That's really the key. Don't keep this to yourself. Scientists have proven that keeping things to yourself is not healthy. So if you want to be the healthiest that you can possibly be, share with everyone your love for Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Do not hold back. It's actually highly recommended that even in a movie theater, you just stand up and scream in the middle of the theater. Everybody, please subscribe and follow to this amazing podcast. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, you do you, but that's just a quick suggestion on how you can help spread the word. While you're at jeffisfunny.com, a couple of other things you can do while you're there. Since you're already visiting, you can sign up for my mailing list. I'd love for you to do that. I send out emails every week so you don't miss anything. Also, if you're so inclined, you can click on buy me a coffee and you can buy me a coffee to help support the show. It's totally free. You don't have to. But if you do, I'll sip some coffee in your honor and mention you on the show. So that's cool, right? You can't beat that. Seems like a pretty win-win scenario to me. Oh, and one more thing. When you get a moment, head over to YouTube, search The Jeff Dewaskin Show on YouTube, subscribe. I do a live show every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time called Crossing the Streams. It's a whole group of us and all we do is talk about shows and movies that you should be streaming on any of the streaming platforms. I do not go a day where somebody doesn't walk up to me and go, oh, what should I watch? I don't know what to watch. And I say, well, then you need to watch Crossing the Streams because that's all we do is tell you stuff to watch. So check that out. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Show. 
and Instagram at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Keep up with all the podcast hilarity. All right. I think that's enough of that. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right, everybody. This is the part of the show where I drop a little bit of my social media knowledge on you. Hopefully it helps you in your journey to be a social media superstar. Today's lesson is a simple one. It's about communication. When you post on any of the social medias, it's important just to kind of keep an eye out when people respond or talk at you, they respond back to them in a timely fashion. That's the whole social part of the social media, building up relationships with people that you meet anonymously on the platforms and chitter-chatter back and forth. So definitely set aside time every day to kind of just communicate with those that want to communicate with you. Also, here's a bonus. If you see somebody has something wrong in their bio, say a link or something like that, I had mentioned doing an audit of your bios a couple weeks ago, let them know. I promise you they'll appreciate it. I are if it's wrong when you found it no one else bothered to tell them that it was wrong when they found it so be that person's hero and let them know that their links are wrong or outdated etc etc and then say maybe you should listen to live from detroit the jeff dewaskin show if you had you would have heard his social media tip and found this yourself and that's the social media tip I do want to take a second to thank all my listeners for your constant support of my sponsors week after week. They let me know how amazing you are. And of course, I just wink at them because I know how amazing you are. So thank you for your constant support of the sponsors. You supporting them is a way to support us. And that is how we keep the lights on here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duwaskin Show. And this week's sponsor, the Starlight Starbright Grocery. Sure, you can go to a big fancy grocery store, but isn't it time you supported the small guys? Whether you're heading out for a day at the beach or heading out to the stars, from cigarettes to bubblegum, the Starlight Starbright Grocery has all your food and other living essential needs. There's no reason to go anywhere else. Located conveniently in the Starlight Starbright trailer court, they're ready to fill your shopping cart. All right, everyone, definitely check out this sponsor. We all have to look out for the small family-owned businesses. Otis, the store manager, reached out to me directly to assure all of you listening the Starlight Starbright Grocery is ready to supply you with everything you need. All right, another great week and another great sponsor. And I think that's an excellent lead-in to my fabulous conversation with Catherine Mary Stewart. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for decades, my next guest has been entertaining us in movies such as Mischief, The Last Starfighter, Weekend at Bernie's, Night of the Comet, and so much more. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Catherine Mary Stewart. Hey there. Thanks a lot for having me. Welcome to the show. Good to have you. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I think my primary fandom would rest in The Last Starfighter and Night of the Comet, and we'll, we'll get love to get to those. I'd like to know what got you into acting? Like, what's what's your origin story? Yeah, my origin story. Well, I've always kind of been a performer, just kind of loud and obnoxious, I think. <laughs> Not really crazy about school. I come from a family of academia. My two older brothers, super smart in school, all this stuff. And then there was me. I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> so my mother, God bless her, she just kept trying to find an outlet for me. And it started when I was really young at like 
six or seven and she put me in ballet and I hated it. I just felt so restricted. I mean, there's not a lot of freedom and sort of flying around and improvisation or anything. Everything is very stringent. Everything that you do, every point you make, every position you stand in, I hated it. So I got out of ballet and then she put me in gymnastics, which I liked because I was pretty athletic and I liked jumping around a lot. Took piano lessons, which I did pretty well at actually. And she, when I was in junior high, she encouraged me to, to get into drama. The idea of standing on stage in front of everybody freaked me out. I was like, I'm not going to stand up there and like recite Shakespeare or whatever the heck you do in drama class. She really, really encouraged me to do it. And it was almost from day one that I just loved it. I loved it. I mean, I excelled, you know, in, in the class, which was encouraging. And then she also kind of tricked me into getting into this dance class, this ad in the university newspaper or something of this new young choreographer who had just come home from France to Edmonton, where I was from. And she was starting up this uh, new jazz class. I was like, no, I am not doing that. I did ballet. I hated ballet. You know, I'm not doing the jazz thing. And my mother tricked me into going to it. Sort of made this deal where if I just try it, see how I like it, that kind of a thing. Again, it was sort of like the drama class in junior high. I was just like, this is cool stuff. And she, in fact, in the first day, I was sort of hidden in the back because I didn't want anybody to see me because I was. this was like not going to go anywhere as far as I was concerned the first day. She, the teacher, pulled me up front because I was picking up on the exercises or the routines very quickly. And I just fell in love with it. I was 14. By 16, I was in her dance company called Synergy. By 18, we were traveling around the world. When I graduated from high school, although I had continued theater in high school, my true love at that point was dance. I went to London, England to train. And I went to a school that was a, a general performing arts school. Like it was dance, but it was also theater and singing and dialects and everything. It was it was very sort of broad performing arts platform. And it was there in London that I happened to go to this audition as a dancer for this rock musical movie that I just by chance heard of. I wasn't prepared when I, because you were supposed to be prepared with something to sing and be prepared to read some of the script for the producer directors and stuff like that. I just went, I didn't think anything would come of it, but the director pulled me out of a dance. It was like a cattle call dance audition. There must've been 200 dancers there. Pulled me out and asked me if I could act and sing because it was a rocking school. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say yes. <laughs> it was completely unexpected. But, and I ended up with the lead role. The movie you're talking about is The Apple. It is. You did sing and dance in it. Did you aspire to be a singer or was it just kind of like, oh, you can you can sing. So you kind of sang or would you have wanted to go and do more singing? I loved Singing. When I say I was kind of a performer, my whole family was kind of, my brothers and I were kind of performers around the house. We used to sing at the top of our lungs all over the place. You know, when I'd come home from school, I would put on whatever album it was and just sing it. My mother was usually at the university and my brothers were whatever coming home. They usually came home later than I did. And I would have the whole living room and the record player and I'd put on a record and turn it up and just sing at the top of my lungs. So 
I love that. And then just sort of peripherally, I was I knew a lot of musicians in Edmonton. So I've always loved the industry. And I had friends who were singers, all, all sorts of stuff. But I never really fell into that in the way that I did dance and the way that I did acting itself. So I had never heard of this movie. but I... <laughs> Uh-oh. Did you see it? I didn't see it, but I, well, I Googled it and there were a lot of <laughs> clips and it made me really, really want to go and see it because I was watching it, you singing, I can feel the earth start quaking when America starts shaking. <laughs> Speed from New York out to LA, everybody does it her way, pumping power by the hour. Speed, that one. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> I'll just sing the whole album for you. How's that? I was going to ask, but you just went right into it. So that was amazing. That was great. Yeah. So you have a very lovely voice. Well, let, I have to be honest here. I was going to see how far I could let this slide. I, in fact, all the other actors, aside from like Joss Ackland and Vladek Shabal, were professional musicians, singers. And I came along as this little 20-year-old that had little singing lessons. And I just didn't have the chops for it. I didn't. They tried with me, but I just, I just didn't have the chops that these other people had. So they actually ended up bringing a woman named Mary Highland from LA to London to record. I dubbed her voice. But I think what is so great about it is, I think it looks very authentic, and I think it sounds authentic. I think it does sound like what it would sound like if I was singing it. Uh, and ultimately, you know, I've done stuff since then. I've been in musicals, and I've done movies where I sing. But at that point, and with that particular movie, which required a pretty solid voice, you know, not, th these songs were not just simple songs. I feel sort of ungrateful that they found somebody. So I'm giving that little secret away. <laughs> that's that's uh, right here, ladies and gentlemen, an Apple exclusive. That's right. This is the most, one of the most Disappointing things to find out since finding oh. out that Michael Pere wasn't singing in Eddie and the Cruisers. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> look, it's happened a lot in history, you know? know, and some huge actors. Like you could list many, many actors who ended up being uh, overdubbed or whatever. So I'm in good company. From there, your your next big, big gig was uh, Days of Our Lives, big soap star. Yeah, Days of Our Lives was sort of the first regular job I had when I got to L.A. I was on it for a couple of years. My claim to fame is the fact that I was the original Kayla Brady, and that character is still around today. And that was back in like early, early 80s. You know, it's kind of funny to talk about that. But yeah, it, this whole Brady family was established when I was on the show. When I left the show, they I don't know how long they waited, but they recast it. And it's been it's a very, very successful character. They should have you back. Right? They got Roseanne. They kept switching Becky's back and forth, right? It's true, they did. There was one point where I was like, you know, I'm around. I was sort of in LA and I was like, I'm I'm around if you you want me to come back. And they're like, yeah, we have somebody. <laughs> I'm like, damn. So close. So close. So close. You just you're like, uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go to guiding light. If you don't <laughs> 
Actually, I did do Guiding Light. I did a few episodes of Guiding Light. It was a super fun character. It was shooting in New York. And they cast me as this sort of Southern sort of crook. She was like, she was very sort of slimy and and, um, unpredictable. And there was something, you know, weird going on with her. And it was really, really fun to play. I was playing opposite another character who had disappeared and came back as this happens all the time in soap operas. The character came back as like she'd lost her memory and then she was like this scuzzy Southern person too. And I I was her like best friend. And we were like going around rich people's houses and looking at all the expensive stuff and slide them into our purses and things like that. It was really fun. I did like six or 10 episodes of that. That was was fun. That's awesome. And then something something I like to ask all my guests Tell me what it was like to be on Knight Rider and work with David Hasselhoff. Oh, <laughs> David Hasselhoff. He was the sweetest guy. That was even before Days of Our Lives that I did that one. Right. He was so nice and he was really cute. And I knew him from Knight Rider. You know, I, of course, everybody did. I was very green when I did that. The thing about David Hasselhoff is I think he was single at the time and he kind of took a liking to me, I think. But I wasn't single. So just missed. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it was really so sweet. I was like, oh, my rider likes me. He didn't like, it never got to the point where he said, it was sort of more like he was just sort of feeling around a little bit just to see where, what my status was. So it never came to anything more than that, but he was very sweet. And it was really fun sitting in the car and seeing how it all worked. And yeah, that was a fun show. One small twist of fate. And I would have been, welcome to the show, Catherine Mary Hasselhoff. (laughs) (laughs) i may have maintained my name you know it is my professional name Catherine mary hasselhoff stewart maybe (laughs) (laughs) that would have definitely changed my life trajectory (laughs) i picture i picture him on set just trying to get everyone to listen to his music is that accurate (laughs) you know he didn't i i think maybe that was I'm sure he was involved in music at that time, but that wasn't something a lot of people knew about way back then. I don't think, I don't recall that, you know, that I even knew that he was a musician back then. Yeah, he's huge in other countries. He's big. In Germany and stuff? Germany, right. yeah, he's yeah. big. Big deal, big deal. Okay, so the big movie, would you say The Last Starfighter was like when you just kind of blew up? Like you're coming off Days of the... I picture, looking at your IMDb, I'm like, all right, you're hot in Days of Our Lives. And then kind of like, boom, big movie role move to The Last Starfighter. Is that about right? Well, sort of. I mean, uh, Last Starfighter was a very small movie, ultimately. I mean, while it was on Days of Our Lives, I was also auditioning for other things. Last Starfighter was just happened to be one of them. And I happened to get The Last Starfighter. I mean, at that age in Hollywood, you're just auditioning all the time. So maybe one out of 100 auditions or 50 auditions you actually get. So it was just a a regular audition situation. And I did the first one. And then they had a lot of the sort of the hot young actors of the time auditioning as well. But I got a call back and they paired me with Lance Guest. We did this sort of improvisation thing a little bit and with the director and the producers. And they just liked our chemistry, I guess. And they weren't that interested in having like the hottest young actors because neither one of us had really made a huge name for ourselves. Absolutely. Going from Days of Our Lives to The Last Starfighter was a jump. And it did kind of put me on the map in terms of 
movies, uh, being a movie actress. And in those days also, if you were doing movies, you didn't really take television roles. You may have heard that before. Mm-hmm. It was con- it was very, very common back then. I mean, you literally could be offered family ties or something, which I was, and I turned it down. And I sort of regret that now. <laughs> yeah, it was a big step for me. And it kind of, like I said, put me on the map as a, a Film actress led to then Night of the Comet and Mischief and a bunch of junk in between. And then I left Days of Our Lives. I shot, actually, we shot some of The Last Starfighter while I was still on Days of Our Lives. That was an interesting time. But I, it was busy. It was busy back then. You were very busy. All right. So, a few couple questions, few questions. Yes. So, all right. So, this is hot brat pack time, mid 80s. Right. Mm-hmm. Who are the other actresses at the time that you would show up? Because I feel like everyone has a story where they show up and they're like, oh, Jimmy Morris here. You know, like, like there's one person that always, you feel like is always getting your roles <laughs> or something like that. Well, you know, it didn't feel like that to me. It wasn't like, oh, but I know Cynthia Gibb and I are very similar types. You know, Leah Thompson was in there, Ali Sheedy, Alexander Paul. We were similar types. We went up for, but honestly, I need to preface this by saying this isn't true for all actresses, but I didn't feel competitive with these women. I was like, it just didn't enter my mind. It was like, they're going to choose who they want to choose. And if you get, why, you know, stir up a bunch of angst if just because you show up with the same people. In fact, you kind of started getting to know the people. It was kind of fun to see familiar faces in, in the casting room. Not all actresses felt that way, I'll have to say which is too bad because it kind of takes the bloom off the rose, you know, we're so lucky to be in the position that we're in. And then there's like, and that, that is such a sexist thing to say, but because guys can do that too. You know, they're like, they just don't want to associate with the competition. And it's too bad because we have no control. We really literally have no control over how we're cast. So, all right. So family ties. Mallory, was that the role? <laughs> Wait, I want to hear No, that. no, no. It was for a role with for Michael J. Fox's girlfriend. And I'm not, I don't remember exactly who ended up doing it. Well, Courtney Cox, I think, was his girlfriend at one point. At and one point, And yeah. Tracy, whose last name I don't know, but is who he eventually married. His wife, yeah. His wife. Another trajectory that would have changed my life, I'll have you know. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Catherine Mary Fox. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those terrific actors. I mean, they're good for them. And another television show, which by the time I auditioned for this, I was like, I'm absolutely doing television, was Friends that I was up for uh, uh, Rachel role. You were up for Rachel? I was up for Rachel. You would have been a good Rachel. You would have been a good Rachel. I I have to say, when I read that script, I thought it was fantastic. And the writing on that show, it was so terrific. I mean, it it stands up today. My kids watch it and they're in their 20s now. But what a great show that was. It would have been really fun to do. Friends, we we go to bed watching Friends. You do? Well, my wife needs to listen to the TV Mm -hmm. to fall asleep. And so we just HBO Max pop on Friends and it just runs until yeah. she sets the timer and we fall asleep. And like she'll get mad at me because I'll like mm-hmm. I'll be lying there trying to sleep. And all of a sudden I will just start belly laughing because I'll hear it and she'll be half asleep. And then she gets <laughs> mad at me for laughing, and waking her up. And I'm like, you really enjoy it. Yeah. Hey, you're the one that has it on, not me. <laughs> so you probably had a good shot at it then because she's just coming off like Leprechaun or something. 
right? At the time. You're I like, hey, know. I'm Days of Our Lives in, in The Last Starfighter. Uh, yeah, yeah, Last this Starfighter. Is, you're picking yeah. Leprechaun? <laughs> she has such terrific comedic timing. I think that might have been her leg up in terms of that, you know, she has such great timing. At any rate, it was the right choice. I, I want to tell you that I feel like it's the right choice. It is. I know. And I'm just giving you, uh, and I, I know it's, <laughs> but it's, it's funny to, to think when you hear other people that were up for it, because there's some famous people up for all the, all those roles actually. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's sort of fun to look back. All right. But enough about it. We're not here to talk about Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Ho. Jennifer yeah, Ho. What about that? I could have been married to Brad Pitt, for God's sake. <laughs> Captain Mary Pitt. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's 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 go back to The Last Starfighter for a second. Because The Last Starfighter, I know you say it wasn't a... It was, to me, it was, it was one of those movies that I think everyone remembers. And, like, I have a very strong fondness for you know it was like one of those movies that like kind of recaptured a bit of the spielberg stuff and star wars mm-hmm. you know mid early 80s yeah and i loved uh you i liked uh i love lance so let's talk about robert preston for a second oh yeah centauri right so the whole idea was take the guy let's get the guy from music man and make that character an alien and it was mm-hmm. like amazing like he's (laughs) he was great well i think that role was actually written for him they thought of him as sort of the outer space music man i mean he is that character he was a lovely guy but i only met him once and that was i happened to cross paths with him when um we were doing reshoots after the main shoot was over um, we were doing some pickup shots in the studio and they called me in to, um, they were actually some added shots, I think. They created some new little scenes to fill some holes. And I got there in the afternoon. He had been shooting something in the morning and we happened to be there. He was leaving as I was arriving. And I, I think it was Nick Castle who introduced us. I was just like gobsmacked. I thought he glowed. He seemed to have this sort of gold aura around him. He, When he was introduced to me, he took my hand and he kissed it. He said, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm like, I love you. <laughs> but, you know, I never actually had any scenes with him. And when right. they shot, I mean, you know, when you look at the editing and stuff, it looks like we're sort of in the same general time zone or period in the movie. But we never were there at the same time. You were on Earth, and he was mostly in space, except when he was coming to get right Lance Guest's character, Alex Rogan, and, and recruit him and bring him up. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I think that kind of stays with me with the Last Starfighter is, and even and I rewatched it because I want I wanted to I like to revisit some of these movies. It's just it's a great story. It's a great like the whole idea of them sending that video game to be the sword and the stone and to like to find the champions that they can recruit and bring back to help save the Armada. The whole concept of it was great. And you were great. So this is like one of your many girl next door roles, right? Right. That's correct. I was uh, I was cast often as the girl next door. I have that look. Little do they know. I could have been so many missuses. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've married you off three times on this. I know. This, on this episode alone. I think there's, there's definitely a fondness. I think probably... I think when when you're going up against the bar of Star Wars, it's like it's probably just it's rough. I remembered Greg and I remembered 
you and Lance and like the, and Robert Preston's characters, they just stuck out. Mm-hmm. And there was even some lines from the movie that I remember, you know, it's just so great. Like I'll figure out when we get to the frontier, beep, beep, beep. What's that? The frontier. <laughs> like, I remember that line. Like I, like it yeah. pops in my head every now and then. Mm-hmm. There was some, some great writing that Jonathan Butel said, did I say mm-hmm. his name? Okay. That tool. The other kind of cool thing about this movie though, is it was sort of like, it was very, the first time they used, 3D graphics to depict reality it was groundbreaking. It's yeah. funny when you watch it now, think watching things now in the context of now versus then, I was like, oh, it looks like a video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the kind of thing like they could they could probably go in and do one of those George Lucas glow ups on that movie and just change the effects. Yeah, I mean, just on that point, you know, they're the CGI on that was groundbreaking and it really was sort of the foundation for what you see today. It's a lot simpler. I know that the technicians on that were creating programs as we were shooting and they were still debating whether or not we would use practical special effects, which are just all handmade or the CGI. It was so new. They were under the gun in terms of timing. So they had to be very, very fast. I know they wished that they'd had more time to sort of perfect it a little more and work on the detail. Really incredible being involved with that and finding out way later. Way I, I had no idea all this stuff was going on at the time when we were shooting. Nothing, zero. It was like at the 25th anniversary screening that I found out. It was bizarre. Also, back to your point about Star Wars and you know, kind of competing or fighting against that. I mean, what's so different? And I think what's so enduring about the Last Starfighter is the characters are relatable to the audience. Young kids can actually picture themselves in that role because they identify with Lance and they identify with me because we're just regular kids plodding through life, just trying, doing the best we can and trying to get ahead. And that's what I think sticks with people, I think. I agree with you 100%. It was, it was very relatable. The characters were all based in a trailer park. So there was no, um, wherever you were in your station, it was like, you right, you feel like, oh, this could happen. It could happen to me because it doesn't matter really where you're all from, especially at that time in your life, which is so transitional when you're graduating from high school and you're going through this thing in your life where you're like, what is next? What am I doing next? And he, well, you're going to outer space to fight this like intergalactic war. <laughs> Good luck with that. Right. <laughs> so here's something interesting. This was uh, from March of this year, where Gary Witta and Jonathan Betul, the original writer of The Last Starfighter, have pitched a sequel mm-hmm. called The Last Starfighters. And mm-hmm. they had a whole sizzle reel and they called it a requel which is a, a reboot of the C it's a sequel that reboots the franchise and brings it up to date. I didn't hear that before. I was doing my research. Yes, you were. Very good. They didn't have a time frame for this. So it, it seems early, but it seems like that would be amazing, right? To get you <sighs> and Lance and like, kind of like build on this. Cause that would re-energize the original. Right. And then kind of create a new series of movies. Because, I mean, now you'd have it on Twitch. It'd be people on Twitch playing those games, right? <laughs> and they'd be they'd be uh, recruiting off of Twitch. Yeah. So, oh, I hope he's not listening and steals my idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, though. For sure. They've, they've actually been talking. I mean, it was wide open for a sequel. We'd get on a spacecraft and shoot up in, into outer space. It's sort of like 
And then what happens, you know, because the war is still on and all that other junk. But so they have been talking about a sequel for years and years. It was a matter of the property being owned by Universal. So Jonathan Betuel finally got the ownership back. And so they've been moving forward with it. Yeah, I mean, if it went forward, the thought is, and I think Lance agrees, and from what we've heard from Nick Castle, the original director, is that they would like to carry our characters forward. And it would sort of be about the next generation, which would be so cool because it really was a a movie that I hold so close to my heart. You know, I'm still really good friends with Lance. I'm still good friends with Nick. We've had lots of reunions and it would be just really fun to revisit it. I'm sure it would be a whole other thing altogether, but that's okay. You know, one thing I don't think would be fun to see is a remake. Because, of course, we couldn't be in it because we're old. And then they would take something. I just worry that they take this sweet, charming story with this extraordinary situation and would make it just all about crazy outer space junk. It sounds like when they they use the word requel, where they kind of like The Force Awakens, where they, they kind of just rebooted the series into a new trilogy and all that kind of stuff. I think even if it wasn't a movie, because these days with like the Marvel TV shows and stuff like that, if it was like a series, I'm enjoying those even more than movies lately, like all the Mandalorian, WandaVision, all those. So, I mean, this would make an amazing TV show, too. For sure. I wonder if they're considering that, actually, because that would be so smart for them, even financially, first of all. But yeah, yeah, we're all now so in this groove with not going to see movies and getting into the series and, and the Twitch and all that other stuff. And this serves would serve itself very well in that arena. Yeah. All right, so I love that movie. You were amazing in it. Another movie that you're amazing in and kicks some ass is <laughs> Night of the Comet with, I'll say, our mutual friend, Kelly Maroney. I only met her one. Our best buds, Kelly Maroney. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kelly was on. We talked about Night of the Comet. Mm-hmm. And so you guys play sisters in this Zomcom. That's right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, Zomcom. Yeah, right? A very funny story, because she's mad at you because you're stealing the only really eligible bachelor. <laughs> I know, left on the planet Earth. <laughs> and the one the one guy that she had a crush on in high school, well, he's dead. <laughs> exactly. So, to make her feel better, I say, let's go shopping, because that's what you do. And then you run into some really crazy, crazy people in that mall. But mm-hmm. that, that was a fun scene. And that was, I was re-watching it. I watched it yes. first when I talked to Kelly, and then I, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to rewatch it real quick. In the rewatch, after you're uh, done saving yourself in the projection room, we, we don't have to go. In, we don't want to spoil the detail. But there's when you're walking out, there's a, a Clark Gable Gene Harlow movie, which I didn't notice the first time, called Red Dust, which is a real movie. At first, I was like, I didn't realize it was, it was an actual 1932 movie called Red Dust, and I'm like, that's hilarious because everyone turns to dust when the comet comes by. That's correct. That was intentional. That was a uh, Tom Everhartism who is the director. You know, he wrote this movie. It's such a great story. He's a, he's a great interview, by the way, um, because he has so many stories. But one of his passions is it's kind of this apocalyptic situation, you know, movies that where there's one or two people left on Earth. And so he was trying to come up with this new idea. And he, he came up with this idea of what would two teenage girls do if the end of the world happened and they survived? 
And so he started doing these interviews with teenage girls and he was sort of surprised by their reaction as opposed to being like devastated by all the death and destruction. They're like, you mean we don't have to be home by 11? You mean the stores are open and we could just go shopping randomly? They were sort of excited about it. And he was like, I'm on to something here. So that was sort of the genesis of the idea, which is brilliant. I mean, no, every apocalyptic movie that I can think of anyway. What is that one? Last day on Earth, the one with all the comedians in it. And they're like, oh, the Seth Rogen movie, the Seth Rogen yes, one. The Seth Rogen movie where it's just like right. it's the end of the earth and they're all joking around. But this was even, I feel like, a little more realistic. It's based on reality that from what he understood. I thought it was just genius to like create a story around these people that, yeah, it's kind of sad, you know, like. Sam doesn't get to date this boy she had a crush on and I I'm dating the last guy on earth or wasn't really but you know what I mean that was their concern not the fact that everybody's just dead <laughs> right 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 so and as luck would have it you and Kelly your sisters and as luck would have it you're also automatic gun experts because you're <laughs> And all the badasses. Well, our father was a Green Beret. Right, right, right. So you're good, you're good with Uzis. I mean, he taught us to look after ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the MAC-10 submachine gun was practically designed for housewives. Nice. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Daddy would have got us Uzis. Come on. So funny. So who's a bigger badass, you or Kelly? <laughs> I'm going to say me. That's sort of my jam, though. You know, I was so happy to get this role because I had been cast as the girl next door so often. And honestly, Reg is more my character of who I am. And to get to be sort of tough and tomboyish and physical and do all that stuff, for me, it felt very natural. It was sort of like a natural fit. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. I have that background. I have that sort of athletic background. So I was very sort of comfortable in that position. So I don't know. I don't know what Kelly would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I don't want to go against what Kelly nah, would say. You, you were both, but you were both badasses. It right. was, it, I, we're going to call it a tie. The important question is, is Night of the Comet a Christmas movie? <laughs> hey, uh, did you see Santa Claus in there? Robert Beltran dresses up to Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, when he comes back. Well, it takes place around Christmas. When he, come, when he comes back to save you with uh, Kelly in the trunk. I know. I, know. I, I want to call it a Christmas movie. Why not? There is Christmas in it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it's not a traditional Christmas movie, but... Not traditional, but it was. It was a, it's a great movie. And um, if you haven't seen it recently, it's definitely worth catching up on that. So, all right, so Night of the Comet, that's the big one. And then... Uh, I watched Mischief recently. That's mid-80s. We're mid-80s. Girl Next Door again. This movie, it seemed like the director was a fan of uh, George Lucas. It opens with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, that's right. Ohio, 1956. But it was George. It was an homage to Star Wars, but then played out more like American graffiti. Yeah, it was sort of the sign of the times. But yeah, that was was a little clever little thing, I think. Yeah, Mildansky. That was really also very fun. I Early in my career, and I always have really enjoyed working, but somebody mentioned this the other day that like all these actors that I worked with back in the 80s, I'm 
maintain these relationships with. Oftentimes you'll spend like this, all this time with these people in this little bubble and the bubble bursts when it's over and you go off and do your own thing. For instance, with uh, Mischief, Doug McKeon and Chris Nash and I have lunch every time I go to LA. I live in New York, but I try to get out there as much as I can. And we've stayed close. Although I have to say, one of the reasons we are close is via Facebook and things like that. The social media has really helped sort of maintain connections. But that's really fun. They're, they were, they're terrific. And Mischief is kind of cool because, yes, I played the girl next door, but I feel like, I, at, even at the time, I felt like it was very authentically 50s. The writer, Noel Black, it was sort of semi-autobiographical. He grew up in that era, and this was something he was very passionate about. I sort of feel like it's a sweet story that I think it really worked well. It's an adorable movie, and uh, Jamie Gertz is great. Mm-hmm. Of course, Kelly Jamie Preston, Gertz. the late, great yeah. Kelly Preston, and mm-hmm. um, she was great. And I mean, even though she tried to steal Eugene from you, but you got him oh, back. Yeah. You got him yeah. back. It's always a good girl that wins in the end, right? (laughs) Yeah. The interesting thing about Mischief also is it was a 20th Century Fox film and we finished shooting it and 20th Century Fox was sort of reorganizing and somebody else bought it out or something like that. And they, Porky's, remember that movie Porky's? Yes. Had come out and it was sort of like, whatever, this little sex romp thing. The original Mischief was called Heart and Soul. It was really sort of a, more of a, deeper kind of introspective examination of these relationships, sort of highlighting my relationship with the Chris Nash character um, and how we go against tradition and I just disappear with his motorcycle. It was more it was more serious, believe it or not, but they kind of wanted to make it more light and have that sex romp kind of element to it and highlight that a little bit more. They definitely made that clear with the poster. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, the second I saw the poster, I'm like, oh, 15 year old <laughs> me was definitely pretending I didn't see that when I was with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was a fun movie. Yeah, it's a sweet movie, ultimately. I mean, that's one little scene, which was kind of funny in the movie, but <laughs> they exactly. make it seem like. So I do have a question for you. The, um, I'm asking this through today's eyes. In like last Starfighter and this one, you kind of mentioned it for a half second. How do you feel now looking back going, oh, the girl that just went off with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> the guy had his thing and I just went with him, you know, gave up, you know, oh, Alex, I'll give up everything. I'll come with you to space. <laughs> yeah, right. Well. How do I feel about that now? What do you mean in terms of being an adult? Well, I mean, like like, like now, would you be like, because uh, you watch it now and you're like, women shouldn't give up everything just for the man. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, I right? see what you're saying. Giving up my independence. Well, you know, I mean, uh, in my mind, um, I was the next last Starfighter. So I, I whooped his butt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it, you know, when you look at it in that way, it's yes. I mean, I agree with you. Probably isn't as PC as it was back then. It was fine back then. It, it was an 80s thing. It was, it an, was 80s. an 80s. It was, it was every, 80s, every 80s, every 80s <laughs> relationship. I mean, it was, in a way, you know, he was helping me. He was sort of opening up a real broad new world for me to discover as well. The character at that point is like, I don't want to leave the trailer park. I'm scared to. And and I'm, I feel like most kids, whether they're boys or girls, it's a very scary time. 
when you graduate from high school, the concept of, okay, now what you do is you pack up, you leave home that you, the only place you've known for 18 years, and you, you know, create this entire life for yourself. And I think I was a character that was afraid to do that. He encouraged me to, I mean, actually, when you think about it, his character was afraid to do it too. He was like, you're taking me where I got, I got to go home. You know, it was totally That's outside true. his comfort zone. You got bamboozled by Centauri. That is true. He did. True. It's a weird question because it's like 80s yes. perspective, you know, today's perspective through 80s eyes type things. And Right. Well, you know, it's okay having a sweet story like that where the girl, whether it's the girl or the boy is innocent and on that level. I mean, it, there's such a range of situations and characters that you can play. It worries me a little bit how PC we're getting, you know, that, oh, you can't be a girl that wants to stay home. Well, yeah, you can, you know, you can. You can. You can. <laughs> and it's okay. I don't mean to be getting that deep with it. Oh, no, I mean, no, no, okay. no. I mean, it is a different time, but it's still a very sweet, heartwarming story, I feel like. Right. If I mean, if I was Alex Rogan, I would have hoped you would have come on the spaceship also. So it's like, I'm like, it's not like I... <laughs> so, yeah. uh, How right, I exactly, exactly. You were in Night Flyers, which... I've not seen, but I saw a clip and you did got some killer sunglasses in there. But I did of note that that was based on a novella by George R. R. Martin, who did Game of Thrones. So there's your time. There's your first degree connection right there. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then that. Then, of course, Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. Was Terry Kaiser just pretending to be dead the whole time? <laughs> well, when he was dead, yes. And on camera, a lot of the... the times it was a dummy because that's what i I meant yeah 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 (laughs) but there were a lot of times that no he was um it it was really really him i mean when they first discover him for instance that's really him and then at the party where they're trying to pretend like he's alive or they're not sure what to do with him that was terry I mean, Terry created that expression, the face. I mean, to play dead and still be interesting is not an easy task. No. You know, you have to be a really good actor to do that. Nobody could take their eyes off Terry as Bernie, as dead Bernie. I mean, as alive Bernie, he was absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Such a brilliant character. But as dead Bernie, I mean... With any lesser actor, that wouldn't have worked because you can't just just be dead. You know, you have to have something going on in your face. And he accomplished that 100%. Right. When you're with Jonathan Silverman on the beach and he's washing up. <laughs> that's one, one of the funniest scenes ever. So I did, I did also want to talk about, we talked about this a little bit on email back and forth before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you did Love and Dancing in 2009. You got to work with Robert Iskov. Yes, who was the choreographer in Jesus Christ Superstar. One of my all-time favorite movies. This was a movie that I saw when I was about 14 or something like that. I was getting into dance, first of all. I mean, it, it, you know, people look at it nowadays and they're like, ooh. To me, I was blown away by that movie. I love that movie still to this day. The dance, the music, the, the story. You know, it's kind of an epic story. Yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't really know very well when I first saw the movie. I was like, oh, that's how it works. You know, I just knew little bits and pieces. We weren't a, a very deeply religious family. <laughs> but when I did uh, Love and Dancing and found out that it was 
Robert directing, I had this. I was just like, what did they call it? Fan? Fangirling? I'll do it. Yeah, fangirling. I was just like, you choreographed my favorite movie ever. And I, I have a feeling nobody had really said that to him for a while because he was like, really? <laughs> I was so excited to work with him. You know, I got to talk to Ted Neely, who played Jesus Christ <sighs> and Jesus Christ Superstar. And one of the nicest people in the world, because you love the movie, there is a um, documentary, Superstars, that he did. That's a fun one. I'm going to have also. to watch that one because I, I, Superstars, I, I'm sure I wrote it down listening to your podcast, but I'm going to find that because, oh, that's right. He was talking about all the sort of behind the scenes kind of photographs and things like that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was. Yeah, I'll have to totally check that out for sure. How can people keep up with you on social media? So I'm on Facebook, Catherine Mary Stewart. I'm on Twitter, my at, it's a C-M-S-A-L-L, or you can hashtag Catherine Mary Stewart, it comes up. I'm on Instagram, Catherine Mary Stewart. I'm on IMDb, check out IMDb just to see all the stuff that I've done over time. And also we have, there's a thing called cameo.com where you can ask for a, a video dedicated to you or a loved one as a birthday present or something like that. That's really super fun to do. Cameo.com, Catherine Mary Stewart. My phone number is... <laughs> so in Cameo, you can have uh, Catherine Mary Stewart say, hey, may the luck of the seven pillars of Gulu be with you at all times. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it was that fan service? I was just like... <laughs> that was very, very good. Exactly. I'll do whatever you want me to do, frankly. Like, almost. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. But you know, they're really fun. And you can go on cameo.com and look at some of the other messages I I believe you can given other people. And it's really fun, especially when somebody has specific requests, like tell me all about your experience on The Last Starfight or something like that. Right. Well, now you can just tell them to listen to this podcast. I did have... I... <laughs> I don't want to compete here. I don't want to compete. <laughs> no, no, no. I did have one other question. It's Night of the Comet. Back to the Night of the Comet. Okay. So DMK, right? I think that's, mm -hmm. I th it's clear the director loved to put like little, his own little Easter eggs in, right? So DMK. Yes, he did. So here's the thing. When I was rewatching it, it kind of occurred to me. So DMK is your nemesis in the beginning of the movie, right? You're playing yes. Tempest and you're the, you know, the master of the game. And DM, who's DMK slipping into the top 10 with so REG? Right. And then at the end, Carr shows up. DMK is the license plate, right? And Kelly gets it. Second viewing, after kind of being aware of that, I'm like, oh, no, wait, wait. Why didn't Catherine Mary Stewart end up with DMK? Because that was your nemesis, right? So it would have seemed like maybe you guys should have connected. Yeah. Oh, he was a child in my eyes at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going for uh, Robert Beltran. Right, right. You had to go but, with the known element. I get that. Uh, yeah, I get that. yeah, yeah. That was really fun. And also, I, I just love the ending. I, I sometimes get comments, like, why would you wear that dress? It was gross. And I was like, the, Reggie thinks she's Mother Earth now. You know, she is now going to take care of everything. She tells her little sister who's gone the other direction, Beach Girl. It's so funny to me. I, I've got I'm making everything normal again in my mind, in my young 18 year old mind. Exactly. Uh, that was such a fun scene to do. I thought, you know, it's your reaction to the DM. There's something, if you look closely, there's this very subtle reaction from Reg when she sees the, the license plate. Hmm, rings a bell. It's oh, oh, so very subtle. So much fun. It looks like I end up with Hector. Hector and the kids that you saved from the evil scientist. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for hanging with me. This was a very fun time. I really enjoy oh, talking pleasure. to you very much. Yeah, you too. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. All right. How amazing was that? Catherine Mary Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't watched the movies recently, it's definitely time to revisit The Last Starfighter, Mischief, Weekend at Bernie's, Night of the Comet, all awaiting you. Also, during the interview, we talked about Ted Neely. Check out my interview with Ted Neely, episode 48 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Dewaskin Show. And also, as a reminder, Kelly Maroney interview, episode 25 of Live from Detroit. Check those out as well. Excellent companion episodes to your listening enjoyment of this episode. How great is that? I know. Amazing. All right. Well, can you believe it? We're nearing the end of episode 62. I know. We wait and we wait each week and then it comes and then it goes. It's just how the world works. But we're here together. But you know what it means. It means we have one more thing left in the show. It's time for a trending hashtag from the family of games at hashtag roundup. Found conveniently on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app on the Apple Store or Google Store. Play along and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. We found a great hashtag for this episode. Hashtag on my journey to outer space. Seemed like a really good one for this episode from Frickin' Misfits, led by Saga says, a weekly game on hashtag roundup. All right, let's get right into it. Let's read some hashtag on my journey to outer space tweets. On my journey to outer space, I found out there are a few buttons you probably shouldn't push. I don't think we're coming back. Never push buttons you shouldn't, especially the red blinky ones. On my journey to outer space, I had incredible, painful constipation. Isn't that always the case? You go on vacation and you just can't poop. On my journey to outer space, I need a good mixtape and a lot of snacks. Don't we all? That's the number one rule of any outer space journey. Good mixtape. Great snacks. On my journey to outer space, I forgot to pee before I got on the ship. Rookie mistake. Always pee before you go. On my journey to outer space, I was probed by an alien 7-Eleven manager. (laughs) We can neither confirm nor deny that. On my journey to outer space, I stopped by to say hey to E.T. Well, I mean, if you're out there, you might as well say hi. And finally, on my journey to outer space, I saw Uranus. Ah, always good to end a show on a Uranus joke. All right, well, those were some fun hashtag on my journey to outer space tweets. Thanks to everyone who tweeted. As always, they'll be retweeted at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Twitter. They'll be in the show notes. Retweet them. Show them some love. And everybody, keep tweeting. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Can you believe it? We're at the end of the episode. I want to thank my guest once again, Catherine Mary Stewart, for being so awesome and joining me this week. I want to thank all of you for being so amazing and joining me week after week. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you've heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.